Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to our discussion on U.S.-Russian relations in the Biden administration. My name is Will Pomeranz, and I'm deputy director here at the Kennan Institute. And I would thank you uh, for joining us for this timely event. Today, we'll be joined by Stacy Clausen and Victoria Zhorvova for a conversation about what U.S.-Russian relations might look like uh, under the incoming Biden administration. In addition, uh, I just want to point you to our other publications and podcasts, uh, and you can find them all on our website. Um, let me uh, introduce quickly our speakers so we can get to our discussion. Stacy Clausen is an associate professor of Russia, Eurasia, and polar security at the National Intelligence University and a global fellow at the Woodrow Wilson Center's Kennan Institute. She previously was an assistant professor at the Patterson School of Diplomacy and International Commerce. Uh, she's worked at the U.S. Department of Defense as a political analyst, and she's also been a fellow at the Kennan Institute. She received her PhD from the London School of Economics and Political Science in International Relations. Our second speaker is Victoria Zhervlova. Uh, she is the head of the Center for North American Studies, uh, Primakov Institute of the World Economy and International Relations. Uh, she is an expert on American politics and foreign policy and studies the American political system Russian-American relations, ideologies, political cultures, and global leadership. She is the author of American Presidents and Congress in a Tug of War for Power, published in 2011. Anyway, so we're going to start with uh, Stacy. Just uh, a few reminders that if you have a question uh, throughout the program, you can ask them. You can submit them via email to kennan at wilsoncenter.org, via Twitter at Kennan Institute, or on our Facebook page. Please include your name and affiliation when sending the questions. So without further ado, we're gonna turn it over to Stacy. Well, thank you, Will. Um, it's a pleasure to be here and I really appreciate this invitation to be on a panel uh, with a Russian colleague. And um, today I'm not speaking on behalf of the US government, um, but in my own capacity as a result of my uh, professional and, and research experience. And you know, we know that U.S. relations have oscillated throughout modern history. Um, during the Cold War, we went from containment uh, with Khrushchev to Brezhnev's detente uh, to a kind of a Cold War 2.0 again in the early 80s, and then finally Gorbachev's new thinking. And in the post-Cold War period, each new administration, Russia and the American um, administrations have attempted to refresh relations. And I think the big question in everyone's mind is, are we going to try that again in 2021 uh, with Biden administration? And is it going to work? So in thinking about this, I kind of went back to international relations because I think the answer to that question all depends on your framework through which you view relations. And I want to focus on three frameworks, international relations, the realist, the liberalist, and the constructivist, and then offer a case study on the Arctic. So we know that the realist framework, that's the one I think we're most comfortable with, frankly, uh, both in the United States and in Russia, right? It's state-centric, it's survival is key, power measured by coercive material capacity, like military, economic. We're in a constant state of competition and it's zero sum, right? We win, you lose. And the world is a dangerous place, but it's very a pessimistic assumption of human relations and our national interests often collide in a realist framework. And because our leadership is mostly primarily motivated by self-interest and focused on undermining the other. So 
In this case, from America's point of view, we look at Russia's malign activity and disinformation campaigns as something going against American power. And I think likewise, Russia may view US support for Russian civil society and Russian and, um, and or, uh, groups within uh, Russia's uh, former Soviet space as trying to destabilize uh, the governments. So I think working through international institutions for realists is generally viewed as ineffective because international law is just a, it's a symptom, right? It, of state behavior. It's not really a cause that can't push states to behave better. And we can distinguish between offensive and defensive realism in this case. The offensive realists really think that both Russia and the US are simply maximizing power and seeking hegemony. And in this case, we're seeking hegemony, if not globally, at least in a given region to protect ourselves against kind of a lack of a global government. Um, defensive realists would say that the US and Russia are stuck in a security dilemma, that both sides are increasing their deterrence mechanisms in pursuit of greater security. This is raising our threat levels and escalating tensions. And they would argue this is where we are at the, right now. And the question is, can we escape a potential conflict by perhaps readopting a balance of power systems with roughly equal distribution of power? So finally, structural uh, realists would say that it's really about the entire international system. And polarity comes in here because distribution of power is key. And the US continues to view itself, I believe even under an Biden administration as leading the world on key issues, forming coalitions to this end. While Russia is viewing the world as this polycentric world, there's no one key power and that Russia will conduct relations primarily with major powers of uh, centers. And the structuralists argue that right now we're actually going through a, a systemic structural change. We're going from unipolarity of the United States to a US-China bipolarity. And here, I think realists believe that um, economic power of China is going to lead to military power and eventually confrontation with the US. And I think the real critical question for the Biden administration will be how will Russia manage US-China competitive relationship, right? Will it continue to balance? And what will be the effects on us of Russia's choices? So if we move to a liberalist framework um, where states are just one actor among many, and we can work through institutions to achieve our gains and that our domestic differences have international implications, right? And our national interests could collide in this sense. So if we look at bilaterally, um, there's a belief uh, in the theory, at least, that authoritarian regimes traditionally are conflict prone. So there's a, there's a bias on the part of the United States that we would view Russia increasingly as kind of a conflict prone nation. And I realize that that may be held in, from the Russians towards the Americans. And I think this affects relations among top key policymakers, right? Because there are camps right now within even foreign policy circles, even within those advising the Biden administration. And they break down generally along lines of cooperation versus competition, right? And I wonder if there are the same type of competing camps within Russia, perhaps more conservative forces in the Kremlin uh, promoting competition, but perhaps business-oriented factions uh, promoting more cooperation. And of course, Ukraine is going to remain a sticking point uh, going to the next administration in our bilateral relations. But for the second group, for those liberalists, for the liberal framework, there's also an um, institution aspect to this. Um, and it's Russia's disaffection with the liberal international order, which the US upheld as a liberal hegemon. And this was when Biden was vice president. We suspect this will remain by Biden as president. 
And the liberals then primarily see the Kremlin as a disruptor, a dangerous revisionist state towards this uh, liberal international order. Liberals also tend to dismiss balance of power logic as irrelevant in the 21st century. So by nature of an active international agenda that a Biden administration may have, the question is, will this revitalize America's alliances and regional partnerships globally? And if so, how will this be viewed by Russia? Is, will it be viewed as an effort to kind of oppose Russia, slow down Russia's pursuits? For example, how will the Russia view an effort by the US to engage with the transatlantic trade uh, alliances, the Asian trade regional alliances? And is there room for cooperative gains, say in the area of arms control in, in Iran or in the area of the law of the sea and maritime issues or with uh, global health issues and the World Health Organization? And of course, for liberals, finally, there's domestic level factors. And the Biden administration is talking about values again in international relations, priorities on, and it also has this priority focus on the domestic US agenda, which includes things like racial justice, but also anti-corruption, also civil rights and human rights, gender equality, and the question, democracy building, strengthening of the rule of law. And the question is, is this gonna be viewed as as, as the domestic needs international, is this gonna be viewed by Moscow as an interference in domestic affairs? And finally, there is a constructivist framework. And this, this says, look, it's too simplistic to stick to just rational actors pursuing survival and power and wealth and international agreements. Really, we have to look at history. We have to look at ideas. We have to look at norms and beliefs that explain state behavior. And here you have the issue of language or discourse that create these norms. And so I really wonder how our respective leaders are gonna portray the other in strategy documents. Will Russia be considered a great power? Are we in a great power politics paradigm? Uh, I've heard the Biden administration or the Biden team call Russia the opponent and China the competitor. Is that going to remain? Are we gonna talk about equal and, and, and on an equal playing field that we share any common values or not? And there's also this perception of self and other. And this is very interesting because I think Russia views itself historically established guarantor of peace and stability and it's near abroad. And also now in the Middle East and more recently in a place like Venezuela and Cuba. And I think the US views itself on the other hand as an honest broker of stability at the end of the Cold War, promoting and supporting democratization and neoliberalism in the, form, in the former Soviet space but also containing Russian aggression. And I think both view the other then as meddling in spheres of influence and, and strong, but also lacking reason and understanding and vision of how to manage these relations. Because, and so both of us sort of resort to containing the other. And I think the view of the US and Russia of the other as nuclear powers is really interesting because going forward in nuclear negotiations, for example, we have different, we view one another as nuclear powers very different than we view, for example, the US and France on the one hand or China on the other but there's talk about bringing both into negotiation. So if I can just conclude with a case study on the Arctic, um, what would the realists say? Well, the realists feel like <laughs> they're in the right right now, right? Because they're viewing a security dilemma that's happening, this military buildup resulting in perceived threat as an act of deterrence from both sides. And we're, we're contending over uh, zones of control, over maritime zones, uh, air zones, there's the nuclear triad, and then there's protecting the homeland. 
And I think there are also competing special interest groups, right? The fisheries versus indigenous versus oil and gas versus environmental groups. And here are political domestic groups that deny climate change in both of our countries and also welcome it, have been prominent voices as of late. But there's also the liberal framework view where this was kind of held up until about 2014. And when America chaired the Arctic Council, for example, among others, as an important organization, a zone of exceptionalism was the Arctic, right? That that was the place where we weren't uh, contending with a security dilemma. We weren't facing off. We were cooperating in the high north, particularly on issues of sustainability of the popul our populations and ecological issues and safety and search and rescue and fisheries and science. And so with this priority focus on the social aspect of the high north of the Arctic Council coming forward that President Putin has discussed and their chairman, Russia's chairmanship, I wonder yet again if economic cooperation and, and, and trading issues will come to the forefront. And finally, the constructivists will say Russia views itself as a leading Arctic power and it projects that power domestically and internationally. And this is a legacy of Soviet's development of the Arctic as a monumental achievement. And both the US and Russia may be required to consider multiple non-traditional non-military threats coming up from uh, the environment and societal changes impact on indigenous groups. And I think beyond the state, we see a growing number of norm entrepreneurs in the Arctic that may drive our relations, such as non-governmental organizations and indigenous groups that are trying to push the, the powers to consider kind of either through lobbying or shaming uh, different ways of shaping policies that benefit the people that live in the high north. So in conclusion, what I would say is whether we're consciously adopting these frames, which often doesn't happen, right? You don't sit and decide, a lot of people don't sit around and decide, I'm a liberal, I'm a realist, I believe in the constructivist framework, or whether we subsequently label our actions. They do exist. And our understanding of where we're coming from and our perceptions of US relations going forward is really critical, I think, if we want to avoid conflict and potentially pave a path for some constructive uh, engagement for example, in the Arctic. I think as the Biden administration is being formulated now, it's unclear which of these three frameworks they may follow, but uh, we should continue to, to examine this. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stacey. Uh, Victoria, the floor is yours. Thank you, William. And <coughs> Uh, I really appreciate this opportunity and uh, thank you Stacey, it was really very interesting uh, aspects and uh, I, I very much enjoy your, your, your framework of, of, uh, of bilateral relations, uh, really linking it to, to international relations, it's, 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 it's very, very good idea, I, I, I think. Um, I would I would start also from uh, um, from the frameworks, uh, but uh, a little bit different. I would say um, I think that uh, uh, to understand how our relations could be uh, with Biden administration, um, we we should think about some basic fundamental conflict elements that are integral integral in Russian-American relations. 
and they are very difficult to change and um, uh, they demand uh, political will and continuity to be changed. So uh, I think it's very important to understand them because um, um, when, we, when we see, um, we see every time with uh, uh, American administration changing, uh, we are expecting something new in our bilateral relations. But uh, there, is, there are always these um, uh, fundamental blocks that uh, make these changes very limited. So I think uh, uh, I could, uh, we have um, at least uh, three moments, three elements that are very important for Russian-American relations and for understanding how it, 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 is, it, it could be go on uh, during this uh, Biden, new Biden administration. Uh, first of all, it's uh, uh, mutual perception. Uh, and uh, here, I, uh, while listening to Russian American experts and uh, politicians these last years, uh, one thing, I have one thing that uh, struck me most of all. Uh, it is that both Russian and uh, the United States perceive each other as, I would say, uh, wrongdoing state. Uh, both have something to blame each other for and something to fear. Uh, and each time the subject uh, of fear and of blame of one side is um, something to laugh about uh, by the counterpart. Like, for example, you know, this very famous example uh, about NATO enlargement. It is, uh, and, and uh, or for example, missile defense uh, system. It is uh, something that is uh, very important for Russia. Real, um, um, it's, it's real anxious for Russia, but uh, it is not, uh, and, and it is not just a, a, a usual pretense. It is really, it, it is for real for Russia. Uh, but uh, it is something that is uh, very annoying for the United States and uh, uh, is perceived as Russian a sort of paranoia. Uh, at the same time, uh, for example, American view of Putin is, is perceived uh, in Russia as American paranoia. Uh, and, um, uh, or for example, idea of uh, Russian possible territorial expansions or for example, Russian interference. Uh, both are very serious subject for the United States, but it is uh, for Russia it is something a sort of paranoid. So uh, this uh, mutual, I would say, distrust perception uh, is something that we have um, uh, from the Cold War, uh, for sure. And uh, in fact, the problem is that we cannot have any positive experience after the Cold War. Uh, that would help both countries to substitute these negative perceptions. Um, in fact, I think that the whole model of uh, Russian-American relations based on the conflict rooted in the Cold War. 
and still we don't have another model and in fact the problem is that we don't see we don't know how to change it and uh, i think it's it's one of the um, dominant question for uh, for the russian american relations future this uh, search for for the new model absolutely new um uh, the second, the second element, conflict element, is uh, mutual disappointment. Uh, it brings us to the short, this short post Cold War period when uh, Russia was too weak to have um, its own interests, and the United States were too enthusiastic about Russian transit to democracy. So. Uh, as a result, Russian failed transit disappointed a lot uh, the United States, since that Russia is a failed project, failed project for the United States. As for Russia, that short period was a period of um, weakness and of uh, humiliation. And uh, the United States are still perceived as a source of this humiliation. Um, the third thing, conflict thing, is um, that the space, the space where our interests um, and priorities meet is uh, too narrow. Uh, in fact, Russian-American relations are based on the very limited agenda, is security issues. issues. And uh, it is also inherited from the whole Cold War, and uh, it is the result of, um, of the nuclear power status of both countries. And the paradox is that with all global challenges that both countries faces now, they choose different as uh, the most challenging to their national security. And uh, it is also make uh, this field, the space of, uh, of the interest more narrow. For example, uh, for Russia, um, there are the most uh, the most uh, uh, challenging is is uh, changing balance uh, near the borders in the post-Soviet post-Soviet countries. The second one is uh, the crash of the arms control system. The third is the changing balance uh, in the Indo-Pacific. And uh, the fourth is the Middle East instability, and the fifth is the technological revolution. As for the United States, uh, first first challenge is China rise. Uh, the second one is climate change, and all is what is linked to it. Uh, the third uh, is the technological revolution, and the fourth is the Middle East. So we have only two issues. <clears throat> that meet each other and uh, they have different priorities for each countries. At the same time, uh, Russia and United States have different national priorities. Uh, for Russia, first of all, it's national sovereignty. The second one is social and economic uh, development. The third one is development of uh, new instrument of global influence, I would say. Uh, the fourth is absence of military confrontation, and five strategic strategic stability, and six non-proliferation. For the United States, uh, first of all, it's um, Western Hemisphere dominance. 
It's uh, uh, the second one, the absence of the global hegemon in the Eurasia. Uh, third one is freedom of navigation. And fourth, strategic stability and fifth, non-proliferation. So again, we have only two, two issues uh, in our priority list and they, they have different range in this priority list. Um, so, and uh, it, it brings us back to this uh, narrow, very limited agenda by the security issues. And uh, when, we, when, when we are back to Biden administration, we will have, uh, uh, I, I think, uh, I would say that we have one uh, or two optimistic uh, view of, uh, of the future uh, of Russian-American relations with Biden administration and uh, one pessimistic. Uh, uh, as for opt optimistic, I would say that um, I'm very optimistic about and enthusiastic about the Biden uh, foreign affairs team. And uh, they are professional, they are pragmatic. Uh, both Sullivan and Blinken know Russia and uh, they even understand sometimes Russia which is very difficult because Russia is not, doesn't understand itself. Uh, and uh, what is more important, uh, the democratic understanding of uh, security agenda is more close to Russian understanding of security, security agenda than it was um, uh, Trump understanding and Republican understanding. Uh, so I, I would say that, um, um, we can expect uh, some progress in uh, um, discussing non-proliferation treaties and uh, some maybe maybe we can see some progress with uh, visa issue issues maybe uh, I would it, it would be very great uh, but at the same time uh, one, one thing that is, is bothering Russia now expecting for, for new administration is that uh, um, Biden team is a little bit Obama back uh, and uh, maybe even Clinton back. Uh, so uh, what, it, what it means for Russia, it means that uh, we will have all these um, human rights agenda uh, and uh, in time of sanctions uh, we will for sure uh, can expect new sanctions in in this area of um, uh, of human rights of, of human rights issues so it could be something like uh, I don't know maybe Navalny list uh, it could be uh, we can expect uh, more cooperation with uh, Europeans uh, between United States and the EU and the US and uh, EU uh, in this field of um, human rights sanctions. Uh, so it could be a very tough time for for Russia, and uh, I I agree here with Stacy that uh, for Russia it's it's. Uh, 
uh, Russia can view it as a uh, domestic interference. And uh, it's, it's, it's very, very uh, hot topic for, for Russia. Uh, and uh, then also I agree with uh, anti-corruption agenda that that could be that Biden could could, could bring in Russian-American relations also very very conflicting I would say uh, for Russia because it's it's also an issue of um, uh, domestic interference for Russia um, and. Uh, uh, unfortunately, we still have uh, conflict in Ukraine, so it will it will it will stay with us uh, with Biden administration, and it will not ease our bilateral relations at all. So the problem is that while we have so much um, so much cha global challenges uh, to think about together, uh, we are sort of a blocked in this in this uh, different uh, in this security agenda and in this uh, fear and um, expectation of uh, wrongdoing from each other and uh, so I think that uh, it will be oh, we will have another four years of uh, rather <laughs> rather tough tough uh, dialogue uh, Hopefully, it would be dialogue, but we'll see. Thank you very much, Victoria. Uh, yes, we're, we're hoping for dialogue. Uh, just uh, we, we already have several questions, but uh, if you want to submit a question, you can do so via email to Kenan at WilsonCenter.org, via Twitter at Kenan Institute, or on our Facebook page. So I, I want to start with Victoria. And, 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 we, and you talk at the end about this very narrow security agenda. Um, is there any way to get beyond simply the security agenda and, and, and have a larger conversation and dialogue with Russia? Um, I, I know everyone remembers the 1990s differently and, and I had different experiences in the 1990s. One of my experiences was working in a Western law firm in Moscow and obviously there was the whole discussion about economic development, trade, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I don't know whether we can return to the, I don't think we can return to the 1990s. And, um, but from your perspective, is, is the United States and Russia just doomed to reha rehash, regurgitate all these security issues? What is, is, is it possible to get beyond these issues um, and discuss other more general global issues that maybe we have more things in in uh, in in common. Uh, <clears throat> thank you, William. Uh, unfortunately, I think that we we are locked in this in this security agenda. Um, the problem is that what have what normal. Um, countries with normal relations have in the base of their relations its economy its trade and economy and that what we do not have and uh, uh, almost do not have and uh, unfortunately i cannot see uh, that we it will change in near future uh, we are too distant from each other geographically 
and and it, it is very costly to 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 trade to each other and we have um too much close um import export um um priorities so we are uh, in competition in in uh, many different in many different trade uh, spaces so we are more competitors than we um, than we partners trade partners um, but at the same time uh, as i said before we have uh, different global challenges that maybe we should look uh, and uh, to try to discuss them together as for example global warming or for example um, Arctic that Stacy told us uh, the problem is that uh, they are on two different um, we, uh, Russia and United States have uh, uh, two different understanding of uh, these uh, global challenges. For example, the same, the same, uh, that same global warming. For United States, uh, it's really it's one of the priority challenge and a very important issue, for, especially for Biden administration. But Russia, I would say, is a little bit not serious about this issue, unfortunately, still not serious. Um, and it is uh, a little bit more, I would say, um, it's more about talking, but not about doing <laughs> this, this uh, global, global challenge for Russia. Uh, so, but I think, I, I think that uh, um, the more we, the more we discuss and the more we open all these issues for, for each other, uh, the more we think together about it, uh, the more we have possibilities maybe to, to, to do something together with it. But it, it's, uh, the problem is that it takes time and every time we, uh, we are in rush to to have a new conflict with each other, <laughs> and <laughs> so it can spoil everything. Uh, Stacy, just to follow up on on that question, though, do you think um, to what extent is Russia a real priority for the Biden administration? Um, in light of all the things that have happened over the past four years. Uh, the difficulties in our relationships with our EU allies, uh, the rise of China, et cetera, et cetera. Um, is the Biden administration even going to focus or is, is that one of their first priorities uh, dealing with Russia or will they be pursuing a different foreign policy um, that obviously has to take into account Russia but is not really one of their short-term goals? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Will, and I think that's a debate that experts here in Washington are having. Uh, not just whether we focus on Russia, but whether we focus abroad, right? Because there, you know, Biden has laid out four priorities: uh, pandemic, uh, economics, 
uh, racial injustice and climate change and as his four priorities. And it seems to me that the appointments of domestic experts, some people believe have taken priority if, if they watch, you know, if they tick off the list. And uh, particularly the appointment of someone like Susan Rice to handle domestic issues is very interesting. And I think, but nevertheless, there's also the theory that a lot of presidents come in with domestic agendas because that's what they run on and that's what the American public want to hear. And frankly, we're at a very critical point too, frankly, at home uh, regarding these issues of, of, of pandemic and economic um, development issues. Um, and then they end up getting kind of caught up in, as Victoria said, caught up in events that may be not to our liking. I, I happen to think that, <clears throat> this team and this administration and this time in American history may not put such a strong division between foreign and domestic relations. That we may see things more as uh, multifaceted, uh, multinational, multi-organizational, multi-level issues. That things are handled in a variety of different fora with a variety of different groupings and that maybe the divisions between domestic and international might not be as strong. So where does this put US-Russia relations? Well, as Victoria said, if we think about some issues we may address like the pandemic, uh, like climate change, um, it could put us in meetings multilateral meetings, increasingly in meetings, meet, uh, without it being kind of a bilateral nature, but just by nature of being more active, the United States is an international actor in addressing issues, will be literally bumping into Russia. Uh, this might uh, enhance relations. Um, but on the other side of that, there are some tough issues that we have to address. Um, that we could avoid, <laughs> but may not avoid us. So for example, do you look at the issue of Belarus? Uh, and how do you do that uh, as a new US administration? Where do you position yourself on Ukraine? Um, and, and singling out you know, Donbass uh, and Crimea as, as perhaps separate issues. Uh, what about the South Caucasus and uh, the Minsk group? And are we going to re-engage on diplomatic efforts in these areas? And what will Russia have, you know, what will Russia say about that? And will Russia have pushed back in a, in a re-engaging America? And I think finally, particularly the strengthening, as I said in my, in my opening points about the strengthening of the transatlantic relationship, that's actually obviously probably number one foreign policy uh, initiative, I would say. And it includes things like, how are we going to get re-engaged on the issue of Iran and the JCPOA? But that transatlantic relationship could uh, work for our interests, but it could work against US-Russia relations. I think now about sanctions and the strengthening of sanctions. Um, so yeah. Oh, you're muted, Will.
Okay, I'm, I'm, I, I think everyone can hear me now. So I'm gonna get to some of your questions now. Um, and I wanna pick up this theme of sanctions. Uh, how much flexibility do you think the Biden administration has uh, in, in terms of, of dealing with Russia on the issue of sanctions? Um, and is that kind of, uh, if, if, if the Biden administration and the executive branch can't wrestle the control of sanctions from Congress, uh, what is the possibility of, of, of a change in the sanctions regime? And obviously a change in the sanctions, sanctions regime is the predicate for a lot of the other potential cooperation that Victoria has, has talked about. So do you think um, sanctions are here to stay? Uh, and they'll, they'll stay as of like, like the Jackson Vanek amendment uh, until there's a real deal on the table to remove them? Um, or will the Biden administration try to push uh, to take control of sanctions and maybe try to limit them or at least use their leverage to get some sort of deal with Russia? Stacey. Um, I mean, Wilson Center just had a great panel on sanctions. Will, I believe you chaired that one. Everything I know was based on that panel. So, uh, <laughs> That's uh, the, bad the bad news is that <laughs> I don't know much more. What I would say <laughs> is that, um, you know, yes, I, I, yes, the answer to your question is, will the Biden administration wrest control of sanctions? My, my bet is on absolutely, because Mike Carpenter has a very long article about it. And, uh, and everybody is complaining that they're incoherent, that there are 47 new sanctions under the Trump administration, and that they, and that now we're, we're so that they're become a punitive measure to, to no end, right? So sort of a slap on the wrist for anything from, that they now involve Syria to North Korea to Iran. I also think that to some extent they've been watered down uh, to the point where you can cooperate with businesses, but there has to be certain, you have to be under a certain percentage of ownership, or we've talked about the tough road. The tough road would be to go after um, banks, banking and finance. And I think we've fallen short of that because there are these sort of list of unintended consequences that can result, whether it be counter sanctions or harming our own economic interests. I think the problem is there's been a lack of a really strong business lobby in the United States. I could be wrong, but my sense is that because, because as Victoria said, we don't have that strong trading and economic relationship, other than I think we're buying more oil from Russia than ever before as of late, but we're also competing in the energy market of Europe for positioning. So there is that lack of, of connection. What I would say, what I've read from experts that, that, that are advising the Biden administration is they do want to take control, as you said. They do want to utilize sanctions more as leverage. So they want to have a carrot as well as the stick. They want to be able to say, if we're able to move ahead on X or if you, you, know, are, if you are able to comply with Y, then we can withdraw those sanctions. But as you pointed out, because quite a few of them are now codified in law, that will be difficult. So it will also rely on a relationship between the executive and the legislative branch in the United States, which is still unclear because we're having an election to, to determine the Senate. So um, I don't have an answer other than many questions. <clears throat> Very good. 
Um, the next question comes from Cindy Sain, uh, VOA News Diplomatic Correspondent. And I guess it's a question for Victoria. Uh, how do you expect Russian President Vladimir Putin to behave towards Donald Trump when he is no longer president? And uh, will, will he kind of uh, see him as the government in exile that he will that Putin will deal with, or do you think that uh, Putin will again focus on the president, the president-elect Biden, and those who actually maintain power? Um, you know, we have we have uh, a joke uh, among uh, among the experts that uh, Russia is waiting for Trump to exile uh, near near Ukrainian president <laughs> in, in Russia. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, it's very funny question because uh, uh, really I don't think that uh, Putin is expecting to have any dialogue or relation with Trump after he he will. Uh, he, he will how he will go away from white from White House. Uh, um, I, I don't I don't I don't see any I don't know any reasons for them to 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 keep to keep in 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 touch with each other. They were just leaders, and that's all. Mm -hmm. My, the next question comes from uh, from Vlad Lupin, the former ambassador of the Republic of Moldova to the United States, um, and he asks uh, whether uh, Russia is interested in limiting China, and if so, would it would it uh, is it is it not going to help is it going to help Washington gain more power by limiting China? So, in other words, I, I didn't ask the question quite correctly, but how do you feel, what do you think of Russia's role in US-China relations? Is Russia going to simply back China as the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Or is Russia concerned about a rising China itself and how it fits into the global security network um, as potentially a junior partner to China? Uh, I Go ahead. Uh, it's it's Go for ahead. me. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, Either one. I, I think that um, uh, we should remember what Stacy said about uh, uh, it depends on which frame we we, we have. It's if it is about uh, realistic frame. So my um, Russia, Russia should uh, should back China against United States or vice versa, but but I think that the reality is more complicated uh, than this realistic frame because uh, uh, really it's very difficult for Russia to to have a side uh, because uh, uh, China is. Uh, uh, is is a challenge not only for the United States but for Russia itself. But maybe in more uh, more distant future, but it will be. And uh, at the same time, China is uh, Russian neighbor is the most uh, um, prolonged, <laughs> uh, the most the the biggest neighbor of of Russia. And uh, uh, surely that Russia should keep. Uh, keep in touch with China and uh, find its own wave of its own way of uh, relation with China. Uh, 
uh, but keeping in mind and understanding that uh, China has also its um, uh, own global interests and global ambitions and uh, it's um, uh, it, it plays on its own as well as United States. So uh, we should be very careful with, with China. Uh, the same, the same that for the for the United States. In fact, I think uh, it is it, it is an issue that we could uh, discuss with each other, and it is a challenge for both for Russia and for the United States. But uh, we have for two different um, uh, starting position in this conflict. So uh, it's a little bit different for Russia than for the United States, but still we have a lot of uh, to to, co to cooperate. I would say, maybe in the distant future. Mm -hmm. Stacey, do you want to comment a little bit about uh, the China card? Yeah, I mean, I think if I look at the Arctic case study, that's a place where a dialogue could be had. I mean, I think it's interesting how you know. Both all, all the Arctic nations agree that China isn't an Arctic state. You know, it's not a member of the Arctic Council. It is an observer. Uh, China definitely has interests, though, in the Arctic and increasingly operating in the Arctic in a variety of different spheres. And I think that's a place where we might have a common common dialogue. I think that the answer to that question, though, depends on America, frankly, the U.S. and the next administration's position on China, because. What, uh, what I wonder is, are we going to, let's just throw out possibilities. Are we gonna continue this trade war or are we going to come to some concrete agreement where we're no longer you know, at loggerheads over issues um, and that our trading relationship is, is more free and fair and balanced? Um, are we going to enhance our military dialogue and security dialogue with the Chinese? Um, where, what is America going to do economically in Asia? You know, we sort of left the, the Asian regional uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. That I see has just been signed, though, by those that in, still have remained in that uh, framework. And, I, and I, I realize that Russia's absent from that agreement. Um, and the question is, and so is, so is India, frankly, and the question is, would would America rejoin these kinds of uh, Asian regional economic relationships? And, and where does that put Russia? So I think a lot of, again, the, the future of, 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 of Russia-China relations and how Russia uh, plays a role in balancing that is, is dependent on what the next administration does with China. We have um, several questions about the potential for U.S.-Russian cooperation and how it could play out in the future and what region it could play out. So uh, Jason Bruder from the University of St. Andrews asks, is there potential for cooperation in the Asian Pacific where they are neighbors? Um, and then Anita Barlow has asked um, about cooperation, again, further cooperation in the Arctic. Uh, for more common actions regarding the protection of marine ecosystems, shipping, and the vast challenges uh, to, that global warming uh, poses. So, are, are so for both of you, are these areas of potential cooperation 
or as Victoria and I think Stacy has kind of identified in their talks, um, there's really less room for maneuverability on both sides than we um, than we, we 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 anticipate in the coming years, and indeed makes it much more difficult to address these types of issues and find areas of cooperation. So I think uh, we're coming to the end of time, but take those two questions and see uh, that, we can, that we might end on a more optimistic note um, about where US-Russian relations might be going in a Biden administration. Stacy. Okay. Um... Absolutely, you know, um, I don't know what will happen with US-Russia relations, but I think a US-India relationship is very interesting in this, if we, if we consider a triangle of US-Russia-India, uh, not in a sense of an alliance, not in a sense of a partnership, but in a sense of three states in that region that are a part of, but not at the center of, of activity as China is and Chinese influence. And I think that certainly, I'm not sure what form this would take, but I do think that, um, and we are, again, I always go back to diplomacy. We are by nature of being active in regional organizations or, um, observing regional organizations, we are going to meet up and talk about issues. Um, whether we find common ground or not is another issue, um, uh, such as in ASEAN, for example. Um, on the Arctic, yes, I absolutely believe. I think this is a positive, I think it's interesting timing that China's, uh, that Russia, pardon me, is going to take over the Arctic Council chairmanship. And, and it's been very positive signals from President Putin's uh, administration on priorities, and and alongside their recent um, their recent um, Arctic strategy, which focuses a lot on the uh, the, the high North development, um, I think I think we are going to find common actions there um, alongside those that the the questionnaire answered. I think the the big a uh, question then is the Middle East. Are we going to uh, find a way out of Syria and Libya? I think are the two big questions. I'll leave the rest to Victoria to figure that out. <laughs> yes, let's let's um, let's find a note of optimism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that there is one region that could be uh that where where we could cooperate is uh or, or one issue it's it's north korea i think it's 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 very important issue uh security again our security agenda uh and at the same time it is uh it is a conflict that couldn't be resolved without united states and russia so it is uh, uh both United States uh, and and Russia have its own um, own uh, I would say net of partnership in in the region that could help them to uh, to unite their forces and to unite to unite in this uh, uh, try to resolve this conflict. 
Uh, I think that uh, the more Russia and the United States would cooperate in in uh, in the issue of North Korea, the the more uh, the more perspective we have in resolving its conflict. I think it it could be the most uh, the most easiest way for Russia and the United States to cooperate, because we do not have um, um, any um, any uh special interests but at the same time we have an understanding of uh, uh global importance of of this of this resolving and uh, this uh, mutual understanding <laughs> it's very rare for russian and united states so uh maybe we should try well it, it looks like uh the, uh, from your opinions, Victoria, uh, Dennis Rodman's diplomatic career is not over yet, and that uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe he, he'll, he'll, he'll be called into another administration, uh, since he seems to have the best relations with uh, North Korea of, of anybody. So uh, we've come to a close, but I want to thank both of our speakers for really an enlightening conversation uh, and a really interesting discussion about the U.S.-Russian relationship under the Biden administration. And uh, obviously, uh, future events and uh, current events will almost dictate how that transition occurs. But uh, it, it is a relationship that remains crucial and that both of you have tremendous insights on. So I want to thank both of you again, uh, thank uh, our organizers, and uh, we look forward to your participation uh, in future Kennan Institute events. Thanks very much. Thank you, William, and stay, thank you, Stacy. It was very nice to, to, to get to know you. Yes. Very good. Thank yes. You. Thanks so much. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye-bye.